It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Here's Donald. Carry it out. Deep ball. Separation. Caught. Robbie Anderson. Goodbye. Touchdown, Jets. The whole NFL is watching. A fourth and ten. And here they come. Make this pass. It's intercepted by Mosley. Moving on down the top. Bell breaks a tackle. Looking downfield, fires this one, and intercepted at the 34. Jamal Adams goes down on the ground and takes it away. He'll hit immediately. He got the handoff. You know and that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the Vivid Seat Studios, use the promo code OVERTIME to get yourself up to 100 bucks off your very first purchase when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason, and this is the pregame report. So that means that later on, we're going to get the injury report and a lot of explanations about some things that people are puzzled about, including the future prospects of Mr. Quincy Anunua, and of course, an explainer on mono and the situation surrounding Sam Darnold with Dr. Steven Stoller. But... For the actual meat and potatoes of the pregame report, as always, we go to the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And, of course, above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, this game is happening later tonight, and it feels like we have lived an entire lifetime since the Jets played the Bills this past Sunday, doesn't it? Yeah, it's... um... It's hard to believe it's been just a week since that happened Uh, because a whole lot has happened in that week. One thing that has happened that we didn't talk about yet because we covered all the other news on Friday's podcast, there was just too much of it to not do a show. We couldn't wait until Monday for that. Greg Williams had a press conference at Florham Park. And this was something else. In fact, it was such a disaster that the Jets didn't even put it up on their website. Now, a lot of people have said that's a conspiracy. It seems a little weird to me, though, Chris, that they put the presser that he did the previous week on the website. This one is not up there, especially considering that there were some seriously embarrassing things that he said, including and especially the fact that he claimed that he's never coached players to be dirty. Chris, there are a lot of things that Greg Williams could have said. He could have said... That's in the past. I don't do that anymore. He could have said, I've learned in my old age. He could have said, football's a violent sport. And while in the past, I took it a little too far. And I don't encourage players to be dirty. I do, of course, want them to be out there and be aggressive. There are a lot of different things he could have said. A lot of ways he could have phrased it. Instead, what Greg Williams decided to do was outright lie by saying that he never coached players to be dirty. And the reason why we know this is a lie, Chris, isn't just because there are multiple witnesses who heard him do it and saw him do it, including somebody who happens to be on the Jets staff with him right now who testified against him and who, by the way, is Adam Gase's father-in-law. We also know this because there's actual audio tape recordings that we've all heard with our own ears that has him doing this. I'm not sure what it is he thought he was accomplishing by telling this blatant lie. Did he think that none of us remember it? Did he just assume that even if people remember it, they don't care? This was out and out ridiculous. I laughed hysterically when I heard this. I really don't know what he was thinking because it's really preposterous to lie about something where there's actual 
public proof that people have seen and heard. Yeah, more than that, he lied about something like that in like a defense of him not doing it now. So if your pitch to me on why you're not still doing it is that you've never done it, even though we all know for 100% certain that that he did it, and and you're going to lie about that, then that leads me to believe that you're lying about still doing it. How can I ex- possibly trust that you're not still doing it if you're not if you're lying about the time that you got suspended from the league indefinitely that you there was a whole huge scandal we have heard the recordings and you're going to I've never coached that well all right dude well, come come on now and like you know sometimes coaches do this I remember laughing uh when we were asking Todd Bowles a, a while back about him using Sheldon Richardson as a linebacker, and he was like, "We've never lined Sheldon up that there." I'm like, "Dude, I just watched the tape. Like, it it <laughs> happened. I saw it." Uh, but that was a that's a harmless thing. You did, he, he's not getting suspended from the league because he's uh, he played Sheldon at uh, linebacker. He's not risking players' health. He he's on tape talking about going after players' ACLs, about kill shots at their head with a guy that already had a concussion. And, like, I know other reporters were writing about this and criticizing Greg Williams, and all the fans were flooding. Who cares? Oh, you're soft. Are you kidding me? We're talking about someone who was coaching players to take headshots at somebody recovering from a concussion. And giving out money as a reward to do this. And he's still out here denying that that ever happened. You can't sit here and say, who cares? That was eight years ago. If he came out and said, hey, you know what? I learned my lesson from that. And then for no other reason, I don't want to lose my job. And I don't want to get fined. I don't coach that anymore. Then fine. But you can't say who cares it was however long ago when he's still denying that it ever happened in the first place. Chris, to your point about why should we believe him now if he's still blatantly lying about what happened in the past, we know that Henry Anderson was responsible for several dirty hits against the Buffalo Bills, one against kicker Stephen Hoshka, the other two against Josh Allen. One of them was incredibly disgusting, where he dove at Josh Allen's knees long after he had released the ball. One of the plays, which is actually, ironically enough, the least dirty of the three, is the one that he got penalized for and cost the Jets a 15-yard penalty on what otherwise would have resulted in a punt. Instead, it ended up in a three-point swing for the Buffalo Bills because they were able to get a field goal. But with Greg Williams lying about what happened in the past and straight up denying it when we all know for a fact because evidence exists that he did do this, when you see Henry Anderson do things like that, doesn't necessarily mean that Greg Williams had anything to do with it. But of course, people are going to think Greg Williams, dirty coaching, Henry Anderson, dirty hits. Hmm, Greg Williams. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and listen, players do uh, cheap, dirty stuff all the time on their own without being coached about it. And sometimes it just looks cheap and dirty, and it was just a little bit too much, but there wasn't any real ill intent behind it. Um, I'm not sitting here, uh, you know, saying that there was 
vicious intent behind what Henry Anderson was doing. Uh, and I'm not saying that he was coached to do that. But when you have the coach at, at, of this history and he's still denying that, I can't sit here and say that, that abs- that's absolutely not what happened. And one of the ironic parts of this is I sat down this morning and I watched the, the Browns-Titans game. And uh, Miles Garrett open hand punch, uh, punched somebody in the face in the helmet. Uh, I, Greg Robinson, their offensive tackle, literally kicked another player in the face as he was falling down. I tweeted out uh, a clip of it, kicked him right in the face, uh, and uh, he got a personal foul and got ejected for it. The by the the first half wasn't even over. The Browns had five personal foul penalties. One of them was on Sheldon. It was just a, a little touch on Mariota, just a step late. The other four were egregious personal foul penalties. So I'm sitting there watching it, and I'm like, this is kind of rich for you guys to be the ones doing the talking about the, a team's playing dirty. But at the same time, how much can I really sit here and defend Greg Williams? I can't defend Greg Williams, especially when he's out here lying about what we know already happened in the past. I can tell you that I talked to a couple of people that cover the Browns and more than one of them has said that they are legitimately nervous that Greg Williams is going to be gunning for Baker Mayfield. And I don't mean aggressively trying to bring him down. I mean, these are people that think that Greg Williams is going to try to hurt Baker Mayfield the same way that we saw happen with Josh Allen. And again, I have no idea if Greg Williams had anything to do with what Henry Anderson did. And I'm inclined to believe that he probably didn't only because Henry Anderson has a history of doing these things on his own. But when you have a situation where a coach has a history of this and is unrepentant, doesn't even want to admit that it happened in the first place, it's something that you definitely think about and you question whether or not he A, had anything to do with the first thing and B, if he's going to do something in this case, especially since, as we know, Baker Mayfield is on the Browns and Greg Williams is still bitter about that whole Brown situation. So something to keep an eye on. I know there were other players that had plenty to say. Odell Beckham said that Greg Williams was dirty and implied that Greg Williams tried to have him hurt a couple of years ago. Greg Williams shot back that Odell Beckham's a nobody and if he's that great of a player, why did the Giants get rid of him? Obviously, that's ridiculous. And for the people that are saying Odell Beckham really isn't that good because the Giants weren't that good when he was there, I suggest you look up what team sport means. Also, Demarius Randall has said that if Greg Williams had gotten the job permanently, he would have requested a trade. Ironically enough, Demarius Randall will not be playing in this game. He has a concussion. That does take away some of the spiciness of this storyline, but... The whole press conference in general, the stuff with Beckham, the stuff with him denying that he tried to have players hurt, all of that was just ridiculous, and it was bad optics, and that is clearly why the Jets didn't put it up on their website. There's no conspiracy. The Jets are just not putting it up on the website because it makes Greg Williams, and by extension, the rest of the organization look bad. Yeah, that's absolutely 100% what happened. There is zero doubt about it. You can... You can deny it. You can try to make excuses if you want, but that's exactly what happened. I will say it is kind of weird uh, hearing you say that about uh, people around the Browns uh, think that Greg Williams is going to, you know, try to exact some type of revenge and do all this stuff. Because to say that would from a guy who just spent the last couple of years with your team, 
leads me to believe that um, then if you think that, then he was probably doing that while he was there and you didn't have a problem with it then and nobody was making a big stink about it then, but now all of a sudden you're worried about it. So that sounds a little crazy to me, um, but I get it. And yeah, the the Odell stuff was terrible. First off, can I, we need to make a law here, a law that it, we can make it a, as strict a punishment as you want. The the whoever Odell who the whoever who joke needs to be retired permanently. <laughs> that, that joke is not funny anymore. It was not. I don't think I've ever once laughed at it. That joke needs to go. It's it's not funny. I don't understand it. If, if this is what passes as a sense of humor for you, then just don't ever try to make a joke because it's insulting to jokes and insulting to comedy. Just stop it. Um, but the thing is, the the Jets' best chance of winning this game is to try to bait and provoke the, the, the Browns. I watched that game uh, against the Titans. First half, the Browns looked far and away the better team but they just kept shooting themselves in the foot with these penalties. And then they just ended up breaking because it was just too much. And it was one thing after another, and they beat themselves. Uh, and then it just collapsed on, on top of themselves. And they're, they're a very undisciplined team. At least they were last week. I, I can't imagine that's going to change in a week. Uh, I talked about this yesterday. Odell, we've seen it's easy to get into uh, his head and to – take him out of the game that way. Uh, there's a lot of players on, on this team. So if, if that's probably the Jets' best uh, strategy here, the best chance to win this game is to sit there and really go uh, get in, you know, try to bait the Browns. Not not be dirty themselves, but do a bunch of little stuff to m- make the Browns angry and make them react to you. That, that's probably the best way to go about this game. Chris, whatever strategy they have, unfortunately, it's going to have to be executed without Quinnen Williams, the number three overall pick. He is missing this game with a sprained ankle. And C.J. Mosley, who has a groin pull. Dr. Steven Stoller is going to join us a little bit later on to explain all of this. But it's not good when two of your best players are not going to be on the field. That's the bottom line. Regardless of whatever we can say about their prognosis for the future, the two of them missing this game is not going to help, especially in a situation where they needed all hands on deck to begin with. Oh, Quinnen's a bust now. We can officially chalk that up. <laughs> right. they, they should just cut him, move on, because he got, he hurt his ankle. So he's, 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 it was a failure and a waste of a draft pick. Um, it will be interesting to see what they do, uh, uh, who they, you know, how many defensive linemen are they going to carry, uh, activate for this game? Are they going to just go with five again, or are they going to try to get a, at least a six in there in case something happens to one of the other guys? But yeah, uh, losing Quinnen's not good. Uh, of course, it's just worse for his development than uh, this game specifically. You want him to continue getting reps and improving. Uh, losing C.J. Mosley is obviously terrible. I do think at this point we've gone a little too overboard on just saying that, oh, the Jets' defense fell apart as soon as Mosley left, where that is correct, but I think it was a combination of Mosley not being out there and the defense just being gassed especially that defensive line being gassed because they were really just playing with four the whole time. 
So I think people are putting a little too much of it on just Mosley being out, but going up in this game and not having Mosley from the jump right off the bat, that's going to be huge. Uh, Obviously, the Browns have dangerous weapons all over the place. We saw how bad the quarterbacks were last week. So, yeah, this is this is dangerous uh, game all around, and not having Quinnen and not having Mosley certainly don't help. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Chris, let's go through some keys to the game. First of all, as the legendary Billy Joel would say, one, two, three, four, pressure, because that is going to be huge in this game. The Jets have got to get pressure on Baker Mayfield. That was a big part of what helped the Tennessee Titans succeed and defeat the Browns. They were able to get to Mayfield, especially in the fourth quarter, and we're going to get to what that resulted in in a bit. But that defensive line has got to take advantage of a very weak Browns offensive line. They've got to get in Baker Mayfield's face. They've got to generate pressure. I know that you want to see some stuff from the outside with Jordan Jenkins, maybe some creativity with Jamal Adams too. But first and foremost, Henry Anderson, and by the way, Henry, no more penalties, no more dirty hits, but Henry Anderson, Steve McClendon, and Leonard Williams have got to get past that offensive line and get into the backfield and get into Baker Mayfield's face. If they can do that, the Jets may have a chance. If they can't, it's going to be a long night. I mean, it's not a matchup of the offensive lines, obviously, but that's going to be one of the biggest keys of this game, which offensive line can at least stabilize and hold up. And obviously it's going to be trickier for the Jets offensive line now because they don't have Darnold back there. Trevor Simeon isn't nearly as mobile in the pocket but they're going to have to focus more on uh, being able to open holes in the running game as well. When I watched the Browns-Titans game, I expected the Browns' offensive line to look worse like right off the bat, 
they they were they weren't great at the start, but they were better than I expected right right away. It was like you said later in the game where they just completely fell apart, and it was like every snap Baker was just getting teed off on. But that's what needs to happen here. The Jets need to exploit that offensive line, and they need to get to Baker Mayfield because if they give Odell time and they give Landry time, uh, they give Njoku time, and uh, they allow Nick Chubb to run through open holes, this is going to be a long day, a long night. They, if, they, if there's any type of shootout situation, the Jets are obviously losing. They need to muddy this game up. They may, need to make it ugly. They need to keep it low scoring because that's going to be their best chance of doing it. The next key to the game is something that you already alluded to, the Jets' offensive line. While the Jets' defensive line has got to get pressure on the Browns' offensive line and get to Baker Mayfield, the offensive line for the Jets has got to do a lot better job this week of protecting Trevor Simeon than they did in week one against the Bills protecting Sam Darnold. And on top of that, they have got to do a much better job of opening up holes for Le'Veon Bell. Bell had the shoulder scare. It looks like he's okay, but still he's not at 100% strength. And on top of that, even though he made some things happen despite the ineptness of the offensive line last week, You don't want to count on that happening two weeks in a row, especially since the Browns are absolutely loaded up front, including our old friend Sheldon Richardson. By the way, I thought it was kind of funny, Chris, since you know Sheldon pretty well, that Sheldon laughed when asked about Mike McCagden and seemed to hold a grudge. It's weird because I didn't realize how much he enjoyed being here, but apparently he really didn't want to be traded and really wanted to stay here. So he still holds a grudge against McCagden for that and was very overjoyed that McCagden was relieved of his duties, especially considering the manner in which it was done but Sheldon is one of just many guys who are really strong up front for the Cleveland Browns Miles Garrett the obvious one there you talked about how he had that penalty last week but he is one of the best young players in the sport and he has the potential to really cause some havoc here if he can get into the backfield which you would think he can unless the Jets offensive line really steps up and as far as the run game goes again that defensive line is very stout so that offensive line for the Jets is going to have to do much better than they did last week or Le'Veon Bell is not going to be able to do much more than he did last week if he's able to even do that yeah the the sheldon the quote was hilarious uh the thing to keep in mind here is it there's a the sheldon thing all went wrong when mccagnan decided to bring back fitzpatrick because that's what led to sheldon and brandon marshall getting into that fight uh sheldon and a bunch of the defenders were at that point remember the uh, Fitzpatrick was wanting more money and it was going on. They were, re- they were all ready. No, let's just roll with Gino. Uh, Fitzpatrick's not worth this. What are we doing? And then they got Fitzpatrick. They stuck with Fitzpatrick and then he threw those what, four or five interceptions in the first half against Kansas City. And then him and Brandon Marshall almost getting, uh, or, or get close to getting into a fight. And then McCagnan basically, uh, you know, from there he sided against Sheldon and uh, shipped him, uh, shipped him out, and so all uh, his grudge was against McCagnan, and he was he de- he did enjoy his time here. He's got a lot of friends uh, still on this team. Oh, not a lot anymore, but there's not too too many. But he had some friends still on this team, and uh, he enjoyed his time here. But he is still a really good player, Miles Garrett. Ogunjobi, like they, they got so many, so much good talent up front. And I just, how, how can they possibly be expected to stop Miles Garrett? This offensive line, as bad as they played last week, I don't know how they can possibly be expected to stop him. Uh, but that's going to be huge. Again, it's, 
it's even more important with Trevor Simeon back there because he doesn't have Darnold's mobility. He does have some mobility back there, but he also isn't as, you know, isn't dangerous making plays on the move. Uh, so th- that's going to be huge. And then, yeah, they got to be able – they're going to have to lean on the running game here. And Le'Veon Bell looked really good last week, but he didn't put up great numbers because he didn't have anywhere to run. He had to make something out of nothing almost every week. And this offensive line is going to need to be a lot better and that the task ahead of them is no easier than it was last week. Next key to this matchup, Chris, is discipline. And what I mean by that is penalties and turnovers. The Jets are going to have to play safe football because that's what Trevor Simeon is comfortable doing. That means making sure that they don't cough the ball up. And it also means that they cannot get penalized the way that they were last week. On the flip side, the Jets are going to have to force turnovers the way that they did last week and provoke the Browns into unforced errors on the penalty side the way that the Browns were baited into it against the Tennessee Titans. If they can do those things, they might have a shot because now with Sam Darnold not in the fold, it's not like they're going to be able to come back from a major deficit if the Browns get out to a big lead. So they've got to make sure that whatever they do, they don't give the Browns any extra advantage in the area of turnovers and penalties. Yeah, they ha- they have to do that, and they also have to hope that the Browns do a bunch of that themselves, and they can take advantage of that. Because, again, that's the only way I see them winning this game, is the Browns uh, doing a bunch of undisciplined stuff and really killing themselves with penalties as well. Obviously, they they want to win the turnover battle, of course, as always. Last week, they won it 4 nothing. Uh, really, for all intents and purposes, it was 4 nothing when it mattered, and uh, they still lost the game. So that might not be enough, but that's definitely what they want to do, and they need to not have any of those Henry Anderson penalties, not do any of those things where – you know, the they make a great play and make a great stop on defense, and then all of a sudden they do something stupid and uh, negate that by having some penalty, and they need to hope that the Browns do a lot of that. Another key to this matchup, and it's a very big key, is finding some way to be creative in the secondary because as bad as the Jets cornerbacks are and as good as the Browns wide receivers are, They've got to find a way to mitigate the damage. Most of that is going to be by getting pressure on Baker Mayfield. If they can do that, that'll alleviate a lot of it. But they're going to have to get creative with coverages and just find ways to stop Odell Beckham from having huge gains, to stop Jarvis Landry from gashing them with first down after first down after first down, to stop David Njoku from being able to do anything major. And I think because Jamal Adams is on the field, he might be able to help with that. So that's not as much of a worry as the others, but the Jets are going to have to find a way to make the best of a really bad coverage unit against the team that has the weapons to make them pay. The Bills weren't able to make them pay as much as a team like the Browns might be able to, although they made them pay just enough to get the victory last week. If the Jets can't find a way to improve upon that this week, it could be curtains early. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, (laughs) I mean, that's the thing about this game. It it could get out of hand very quickly, incredibly quickly. And this, this secondary is the biggest reason why 
the secondary is, you know, the cornerback situation, I should say, because Marcus May played great last week. He he played better than Jamal played last week. So as long as Marcus May stays healthy, you're comfortable with those safeties, but you couldn't be more uncomfortable with the cornerbacks. And this is not a team you want to play if you're not comfortable with your cornerbacks. Um, you know, obviously Odell's going to be fired up. Like I said, you just got to hope to try to get in his head and take him out of his his game because he's going to be fired up and they're going to be looking to exploit that the Jets quarterback situation and they easily have the talent to do that. So, so if they just remain disciplined and don't beat themselves, then it should really be a, you know, a fairly easy cakewalk for them, but, and, and it could get out, out of hand, super, super quick. I think they're going to need to try some new things with, uh, with players. Uh, I mean, you need to try throwing Harrison out there or something. It seems real early in the season, you know, after just one game and to, to say, okay, you need to try new guys out and bench your starters or whatever. But Daryl Roberts and Tremaine Johnson going up against this, uh, this group, they're going to need, it's going to have to be the front. They, they're going to need to be able to get pressure and get pressure immediately. Final key to this matchup, Chris, is that Adam Gase is going to have to find a way to be creative and it's not going to be easy because he's got Trevor Simeon who's very limited and it's not like Trevor Simeon is somebody that's going to be able to make a lot of big throws. But Gase is going to have to find a way to mix between the run and the pass and he's going to have to find a way to have Trevor Simeon take a couple of calculated risks just to keep the Browns defense honest enough to make sure that Le'Veon Bell doesn't get smothered all day. They're going to have to use Le'Veon Bell in the screen game. I would suggest bringing in Ty Montgomery and trying some trickery there. Maybe once or twice a deep shot to Robbie Anderson just to let the Browns know that it's on the table. But Gase is going to have to do a very strong job of mixing up the plays and making sure that Trevor Simeon is able to operate within his comfort zone while still being able to present a big enough threat to the Browns that they don't just stuff the box and tell Trevor Simeon, okay, we know what you're going to do. Good luck. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> not, the thing is about last last week when they played the Bills, uh, that game plan was way too safe and way too conservative. And e- regardless of how uh, sick uh, Darnold was and how sick they knew he was, it was way too much. Uh, way too safe, way too conservative. You cannot win in the NFL like that unless you have an elite, elite, elite defense. And with this cornerback group, you don't. You cannot win in the NFL playing that safe and conservative when you have this this bad of a cornerback group. You can hold up for a, a half or three quarters even, but you're going. it's going to get exposed. And if you're playing it too safe, so even with Trevor Simeon in there, you're, the natural inclination will be to play it a little more safe, safely, but you can't. You just you have to take some shots. You you have to do that. So when you do play it a little safe, that you can actually make something out of it. Uh, you you just absolutely have to do that. You can't just sit there and be as safe as he was last week. I thought it was ridiculous uh, as the game was going on. I understood it a little more after the Darnold news. But even with that, you just can't. You're playing it safe, that safe is just begging to lose. 
Those are the keys to the game. Can the Jets find a way to execute properly and pull this one out? Chris, what are your thoughts? I'm going to say that while this isn't going to be the blowout that some people think, I do think the Browns are going to prevail. My final score prediction is going to be 27-17. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead with 34-7. I'm going blowout. Uh, Typically, when I predict blowouts, the game ends up being a lot closer than expected, so you can expect it won't, won't actually be that big of a blowout, but... Again, the only hope I see the Jets having is if the the Rams sell, uh, not the Rams, the Browns self destruct and get all types of penalties. And that is, a, 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 after watching them play the Titans, that is a very distinct possibility. I'm just not going to make my prediction based on them doing that. So I'm going to go ahead and say this is going to be an ugly blowout. There's our official predictions. We went through the keys to the game. We told you about the animosity that Sheldon Richardson is still holding close to his chest. In regard to Mike McCagnin, all the stuff going on revolving around Greg Williams, a lot of storylines, a lot of news this week. My head is still spinning from everything that's gone on. The game is just hours away, and it is going to be something else at MetLife Stadium tonight. I would love for the Jets to pull this one out. We will see if they're somehow able to do it. Chris, thanks for joining me on this pregame report. We're going to have Dr. Stoller coming up in just a bit to talk about all the injuries, what they mean, and what the prognosis is, especially for young Sam Darnold and what his timetable could be for him to return. But before we get to Dr. Stoller, Chris, why don't you go ahead and let everybody know what they've got in store for them if they visit JetsInsider.com. Yeah, I'll have my uh, game preview up on Monday morning, uh, go into a little more detail on some of these things that we, we talked about. Uh, different ways that they can try to scheme ways to get uh, a victory with uh, Trevor Simeon at the helm. And then obviously I'll have a full report from the game, uh, what happened, uh, you know, breakdown of why they won or lost, what went into it. And then we'll focus on that as well on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday we turn our attention to the Patriots, which should, uh, of course, get – fans super excited to have a much easier opponent next week hey guys this is greg peterson host of the podcast hooping with hoops despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season i'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them keep up with all the transfers in college basketball and so much more you are able to subscribe to hooping with hoops on apple Podcasts, google Play Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. There have been a ton of questions revolving around all the injuries going on with the Jets, and of course the illness to Sam Darnold, which is mononucleosis. And so, of course, it is injury report time with the man that is a 35-year orthopedic surgeon and an expert on all medical matters. So he's the perfect person to have on. At this time, when there are so many questions and so many people wanting answers to what's going on with the Jets from a medical standpoint, Dr. Steven Stoller. Doc, what's going on, sir? It's been a weird week, huh? Oh, it's been uh, really unusual and unfortunate for the Jets. Um, but, Scott, thank you for having me. And I listened to your earlier podcast uh, discussing Sam Donald's mononucleosis, and I thought Chris did such a great job 
that I would offer him the position of a medical assistant if he ever wants to take it. <laughs> well, he is a very big deal, so perhaps he can make his way into the medical field and be a very big deal in that field as well. But, Doc, let's talk a little bit more about mono. I had it, and I talked about this on the program, so my experience was that it built up, and at first I thought it was just a throat infection, which it sounds like was the case with Darnold because they thought he had strep throat, and then they realized that it was mono. For me, it was something that built up over time. And from what I understand, it takes a couple of weeks to really manifest itself. But the symptoms build up. So while he may or may not have realized that he had full-blown mono when the game was going on on Sunday, he had to have been affected by it, correct? Oh, absolutely. And if, if, they, if they thought he had struck throat... Um, they could have diagnosed that by, you know, doing a, a swab test um, for strep throat, and that usually comes back, you know, quickly. But the fact that he had symptoms of the strep throat are also similar symptoms of mononucleosis, except mononucleosis is much more severe and extensive. I mean, it also includes, um, besides the sore throat, having fatigue, fever, swollen lymph nodes, tonsils, headache, rash, and um, which is of importance for his return is that sometimes you get a, a swollen or enlarged spleen and sometimes a liver. And he won't be able to return, even if he's feeling well, if he has a enlarged spleen or liver because um, in a contact sport, he could rupture his spleen, and that could be life-threatening. So I don't think that they would allow him to return until uh, it's normal. We'll get back to that in a second, but first I just want to go back to Darnold playing on Sunday with the symptoms of mono because it was Wednesday when it was revealed that he was missing practice because he wasn't feeling well, and then Thursday is when it came out that he had mono. Sunday he played in the game. He had to have been affected by it in some way by that point. Is it possible that he thought he had the flu or some really bad cold or something like that and was just fighting through it? Because there are people that will suggest, of course, with no medical training or background, oh, it couldn't have affected him. He didn't have mono on Sunday, but he had to have had the beginning stages of it, right? Oh, absolutely. He was definitely ill. And... Um, you know, I had this discussion with my wife that it was like a Michael Jordan moment. And my wife goes, no, he didn't win the game. So he's no Michael Jordan. <laughs> but um, I, I thought it was pretty incredible. Like, you know, everyone was talking about his, you know, he was just average and he didn't have a good game. You know, of course he's not going to have a good game. He was pretty ill. And it was, you know, hot weather. Um, he was sick. And um, I, I would think that that's related to it. And I'm shocked that he was able to make it through four quarters. And I, I think that just adds to his toughness. When do the symptoms typically manifest themselves, though? I've been told, and from what I experienced myself, it's at least a week. So he would have started to feel a little bit sometime around the middle of the previous week at the latest, right? Yeah, more than likely he would have started to develop some symptoms, yes. And you can get it in other ways other than kissing, right, even though it's called the kissing disease? Oh, yeah. Then he, you know, sharing a water bottle, um, any kinds of, you know, uh, fluid 
you know, exchange, like, uh, you know, sharing a bottle, uh, a glass, um, any kind of, you know, saliva contamination can, you can contract, uh, mononucleosis. You, yes, you don't have to kiss someone to contract mono. No, it's a, uh, it's related to the Epstein-Barr virus. Um, as mentioned before, they thought he had a strep throat. The strep throat is a bacterial, not a virus. It's uh, due to the streptococcal bacteria. And um, mononucleosis in an adult is, uh, you know, something that is debilitating. And we'll have to keep an eye out and see how he does. Let's talk a little bit about the recovery because you talked about the enlarged spleen. There's also the fact that this is going to more or less completely wipe him out for the next couple of weeks. So even when he comes back, it's going to take him several weeks to get back to full energy. Talk to me a little bit about what the recovery process is like. And then if you could tell me a little bit more about what you were mentioning with the enlarged spleen, because they obviously can't risk him getting permanent damage to the spleen. He could end up like Chris Sims. If you remember, he had to have his spleen removed and that effectively ended his career. So how is this going to work from this point forward? Well, in a normal patient, that it would take three to four weeks, you know, bed rest. And the treatment is really just, you know, fluids and treating them symptomatically, you know, either with um, Tylenol or Motrin or something like that. But um, typically, he's already, I think he's already lost five pounds from what I've uh, read, and I'll probably lose some more weight. And when you lose, you know, weight, you got to keep in mind that some of that's going to be muscle mass. So for the average person that just has to get back to a desk job or, you know, a student that has to get to class, yeah, three to four weeks they can do that, and maybe not comfortably, but they can still do that. You know, being uh, an NFL quarterback, I don't know if that's really possible. So I would think that four to six weeks or more um, will probably be what's required for him to return. So realistically, at what point do you think it's possible for him to come back? Do you think that he can make it back after the bye, or are we looking at something where it could be around midseason? I think four weeks would be the absolute soonest that he could get back on the field. But I would think that is would be up, very optimistic. And I would think that if you want to be safe, I would probably – more like six to eight weeks before he has to get back. And, you know, you have to see his energy level. Um, you have to see how much weight he lost. And um, again, you know, you have to do either, you know, CT scan or an ultrasound to see if he has an enlarged spleen until that goes down. You know, it's an absolute contraindication to returning to play. Michael Palace from the Jet Up Bleeding Green podcast wrote in a question for you. And it was something that went along with what Dr. O'Brien said on Mike Francesa's show on WFAN. He suggested that were it his kid, he would not want him playing the rest of the year because of the spleen issue. He would want him to have all of that rest, be able to make sure the spleen was perfectly intact, and then go into next year and start fresh. Now, bear in mind, the Jets have already said Adam Gase has come out and made it clear that Darnold is not going to go on IR. But Michael wanted to know, in your professional opinion, do you think it would be wise for the Jets to put him on IR? 
I, you know, I think the way the season is going, it would probably, it wouldn't, it, it probably would be prudent to put him on IR because that, that's greater than six weeks. As far as keeping him out the whole season because of his spleen, you know, that can be um, clearly demonstrated by either a CT scan or an ultrasound um, to see how enlarged, you know, the spleen and whether it's gone back to normal. So, uh, you know, I think if you do those tests and it shows it's normal and everything else and he has his full strength and um, he's able to perform in practice, then I think he's able to return. I don't think you have to keep him out for the year, you know, based on, on the spleen because, you know, again, there are diagnostic tests that can clearly um, delineate the size of the spleen. Let's talk about Quincy Nunwa now. Another neck injury out for the season. You and I had a conversation in the summertime, and what you said to me was, with that neck, if Nunwa suffered another major injury, it would be wise for him to call it a career because he could be risking permanent paralysis. I know he's out for the year, but do you think that this is probably the end of the line for Quincy Nunwa as a football player? Oh, yeah. I, I, I can't see any other way. I don't know the results you know, of his MRI, but I did see in the first quarter that when he came out, he was shaking his left hand. And that's usually you know, indicative of a stinger. And what a stinger is, it's, um, it's like an electric shock that you get from your neck going down to the nerve roots that you know, go into your arm. And it's like an electric current and you get, you know, temporary numbness. Now they brought him into the tent. They examined him. I presume that it must have subsided and his strength and sensory um, examination were normal as well as examination of his neck. But I also find it that right afterwards they said he's out for the year, which means that there must be either an MRI or clinical findings that show that he has, you know, nerve root affected or spinal cord affected um, either at the location of the surgery. But more than likely, what happens with a fusion is that you have six levels of bones in your neck, and in between you have a disc. And the disc is like a jelly donut. And when the jelly comes out of the donut, it's a herniated disc, and that jelly presses against the spinal cord or nerve root. So in his case, they take it out, and instead they put in bone so that level of the neck does not move, which puts additional stress on the level above and below. And sometimes because of this surgery, you have a higher incidence of, getting additional degeneration or injury to the level above and below. And I would imagine that that's probably what's going on now. So, you know, whether or not it's a herniated disc, he does have symptoms. They're keeping him out for a year for a reason. Uh, If it was my son, I would tell him not to play again. Let's talk about the receiver that the Jets acquired to replace Quincy Inunua for the rest of the year and that is Demarius Thomas. He is questionable for this game because of a hamstring. He didn't practice, but there was something that you shared with me before we started recording about his recovery that makes it seem like 
even if he plays, he's going to potentially be at about half speed. Can you tell me a little bit about the procedure that he had after his injury last year and about the recovery? You were telling me that there's no way he could have possibly made it all the way back yet. Yeah, he had a Achilles tendon rupture, and he had an Achilles tendon repair, I believe, nine months ago. And nine months is not enough time for you to develop the uh, full strength of the injured Achilles tendon or calf muscles. And the calf muscle is one of the more or most difficult muscle to strengthen in your body, as you can see from some of the athletes, um, especially Kevin Durant is now posting his, you know, rehab on Instagram. So you can see how slow it actually is. So I think you need at least, at least a year before you're getting your full strength back. And it may even take longer than that. And so for a wide receiver that has to sprint or jump, um, you're not going to have full, uh, strength in the, in the calf muscles. So I can't imagine that he would be, you know, fully uh, functional and may have been one of the reasons why the Patriots were looking to cut him anyway. Um, I think, you know, uh, Bill Belichick is, you know, obviously a smart coach and probably knew that this was also one of the reasons besides his hamstring being an issue. Let's talk about the other players that are listed on the injury report, and we'll start with the two guys that are listed as out, two very important players. One is C.J. Mosley, the starting middle linebacker who was all over the field in week one, had a groin issue, was pulled out of the game, and now he's not going to be playing against the Browns tonight. Also, we had Quinn and Williams, the number three overall pick in the draft, had an ankle injury, was walking in a walking boot. They were hopeful that maybe he would be able to play. Not going to happen Talk to me about these two, Doc. Sure. Um, C.J. Mosley looks like he injured his uh, groin in the third quarter when he was um, covering a deep pass, and you could see him limping off the field then. So the groin muscle um, is probably, when they say groin muscle, is probably the tendon. And again, the tendon uh, doesn't have a good blood supply so the healing is a little bit slower, and it really depends on what degree of how much of a tear there actually is. So if it's a small tear, he should be back, you know, shortly. You know, if it's a larger tear, it's going to take a longer time to heal. And, you know, when he does return, you know, as I mentioned in uh, other podcasts, you know, with an injury in that location, he'll probably wear compression shorts um, and, you know, physical therapy in the interim to help reduce some of his symptoms. As far as uh, Quentin Williams, an ankle sprain, uh, a sprain is when you injure the ligaments, and the ligaments are the tissues that hold a joint together. So an ankle sprain typically is on the outside of the ankle, and there are two major ligaments there that get injured. And a the severity goes by first degree, second degree, third degree. And a first degree is just, you know, mild injury. Um, second degree is a partial tear and the third degree is a complete tear. And, um, it'd be unusual if he had a third degree. So his is probably somewhere between a first and a second degree sprain. They're probably keeping him out because of 
swelling and some discomfort. But one of the good things with ankle sprains is that you can brace someone where they can bend the foot up and down, but protect them from the foot from going um, inside and out. So you're allowing the ligament to heal even while you're uh, playing. So you'd either be in a, uh, you know, a functional brace with or without taping. Um, but I guess that will probably be in the next week or so. Let's talk about the rest of the players that are listed on the injury report. And we'll start with Brian Winters. Now, Brian Winters is listed as questionable with a shoulder injury. And it's interesting because you texted me after the game on Sunday and said that you noticed something about Brian Winters that made you think that he was still hurt and maybe shouldn't have been playing, and you noticed the same thing about Blake Cashman. I wonder if this has something to do with Winters' poor performance, but tell me what you noticed about both Winters and Blake Cashman. Okay, both of them I noticed that were, are wearing a shoulder harness, and it looks like a blood pressure cup on the upper arm. And what, what happens is that uh, blood pressure cuff-looking device on their arm is connected to the shoulder pads and it prevents their arm and shoulder from going into a pitcher's position. So they can't lift it all the way straight up and they can't lift it all the way back. So it protects their shoulder from instability if they if the player is feeling like their shoulder may be uh, slipping in and out of place, like a partial uh, dislocation. So I would imagine that Brian Winter's injury is related to ligaments in his shoulder, and if he's wearing that, um, he probably will have surgery at the end of the season. Um, as far as Blake Cashman, I recall bringing this up when he was drafted, that he had surgery on both his shoulders, and usually that's done for the same problem that Brian Winters is experiencing, his shoulder instability. And it's done it's performed arthroscopically or corrected, and the results are very good, given that you give the uh, player enough time to uh, rehab, which is six months. With uh, Cashman's uh, situation, he had second surgery on his right shoulder, which I don't know what the reason uh, for it is, but he is wearing a harness to protect that shoulder. So um, he may have some uh, symptoms related to instability if he's wearing a shoulder harness. Brexton Berrios, the punt returner, was listed as questionable last week with a hamstring injury, listed as questionable again this week. Unless something happened to make it worse, he should be okay, right? Because he didn't look that bad last week. He looked okay. No, I, you know, I watched him and I didn't see that he was favoring it at all. And, you know, being a punt returner, he has to sprint. And so he did that fine. And I don't think that that's an issue at all. Kelvin Beecham is listed as questionable with an ankle injury. What do we know about that? I would presume that's also an ankle sprain. And depending on the severity of the ankle sprain, whether it's a one, two, or three, um, will determine how quickly he gets back. But again, with ankle sprains, unless there's like, you know, severe swelling and pain, that they can be taped, protected, 
um, with a brace that will allow the foot to go up and down, but per- protect the ligaments from further injury and allowing them to heal while playing. Next up on the list is Le'Veon Bell. People were really concerned that he was going to miss this game. Thankfully, he's not going to, so Jets fans can breathe easily, and so can those who drafted Le'Veon Bell for their fantasy leagues this week over at FanDuel, including yours truly. Not going to lie, got a little bit nervous, but I was always fairly confident that he was going to play, and so thankfully he will. And if you would like to play and have Le'Veon Bell on your team as well, you can do that right now by signing up over at FanDuel. And if you're a first-time customer, a little extra bonus for you. You get 20 bucks in site credit if you deposit $20 or more. The beauty of FanDuel is that you get a new team every week, so your roster's more flexible. You don't have to worry about somebody getting hurt ruining your season or a guy who's a huge bust that you picked high in the draft underperforming. He's not going to ruin your season either because from week to week, everything is going to change for you. Sign up now at FanDuel, deposit 20 bucks, and you'll get yourself 5 bucks in site credit every week for four weeks. Go to FanDuel.com slash DFS Fantasy or download the FanDuel app today. And if you do that and you draft Le'Veon Bell, he's going to be in this game despite the MRI on the shoulder, but it appears the MRI was nothing more than a precautionary measure, so he should be more or less good to go later tonight. Right, Doc? Um, I, I, I think the MRI results from what I've read are nor- normal. There's no structural uh, defect, so you know, it would just be a matter of symptoms, and from what I hear, you know, he seems to be ready to go, so... I don't see that as being a problem, and, um, you know, it's great that he doesn't have any structural injury to his shoulder, so I think he's going to be okay. Last but not least, Steve McClendon listed as questionable with a hip injury. What do we know about that? That I know as much as you do, that just says hip. (laughs) I don't know whether it's related to the joint, whether it's related to um, the muscles surrounding the hip, or, you know, a hip contusion, meaning a bruise, uh, can be very painful and limiting. So I, I, I don't know the nature of the injury, but, um, you know, if he's able to practice, uh, and then I think he's probably ready to play. But if they kept him out of practice, um, then there may be something more significant, but it'd be mostly related to, uh, his pain tolerance and how it affects him when he's uh, practicing. Do you think it could affect his movement? Yeah, because he would be protecting the motion on the hip because of pain. So, yes, it could affect it. Doc, been waiting to talk to you all week. Everybody had so many questions about all these medical issues, and I'm glad that you could come on to answer them. Dr. Steven Stoller, a 35-year orthopedic surgeon and our go-to guy when it comes to all things injuries and medical-related issues. Thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to talking to you again next week. Hopefully, we don't have as much to talk about because if we do, God help the Jets at that point. But for those that want to reach out to you and talk to you, pick your brain, or just talk some Jets with you, how can they get a hold of you? Well, I'm on Twitter, uh, the Ancient Athlete, and I'm also, I guess, on for Stephen Stoller, MD. So you can get me on Twitter either way. And I'm glad to answer any questions that you have. 
Go ahead and follow Dr. Stoller at Stephen Stoller MD or at The Aging Athlete. Feel free to ask him any medical related questions you want. He's happy to answer them all. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and Turn on the Jets.com.